welcome to the Biblically Discerning Podcast, where we seek to have intentional and thoughtful conversations about theology and life. We want to walk in truth and grace the way that God designed us to live. So with that said, let's get into this week's podcast. Well, welcome back. Week number two. Is it really week number two? Yeah. Last week was the first one, and now this is the second one. I know. I just, I, I felt like it had been more than a week. There's just been a lot going on this week. Yeah. So many crises, so little time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> well, um, this is a question that I have a lot that pops in my mind uh, that we were discussing earlier tonight. Uh, just about process of being saved, how that looks, and... Um, Assurance of salvation, if you will. And yeah, uh, we can start with the. What I was, I guess, having my crises over as usual. Um, just the assurance of my salvation, not having to work it out, if that makes sense. I know you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and all that, but there's a lot of passages that always come into mind, like, Lord, Lord. I never knew you, or other way around. I never knew you after they had told him, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. Or after you're saved, you need to be doing certain things. And if you're not, you're not saved. Those are less specific that I remember. Uh, the main one is the Lord, Lord verse that tends to scare scare me the most. And that's what we were kind of discussing before we started recording, which we probably should have started recording earlier. But nonetheless, here we are. Well, I'm actually going to see if I can pull up that passage that you're talking about so we can All actually right, I'll, read I'll it. keep stalling for you. No, it's okay. I was looking at multiple other ones just because you were talking about it earlier. I'm like, I just want to read the whole thing. Um, so... Jesus, I think this is the Sermon on the Mount, yeah? Judging others. No, never mind. It's not Sermon on the Mount. I can still stall if you want. No, it's okay. I like I found the section. I just wanted to like know the context of the of the whole thing. But it's talking about true and false prophet prophets, the narrow and the wide gate. Um, oh, that's ask, another seek, one. Knock. Yeah, the narrow and wide gate mm-hmm. or path to the gate. Yeah, but the thing is, Jesus kind of set up signposts and told us exactly where to go. And where are those signposts? You tell me. You told me earlier. So I asked you what in scripture is required to be saved. Not what's required to do after you get saved, but what is required to be saved. Let's define that. So in order to be saved, you must believe and repent. Uh And repent meaning uh, turning 180 away from your sins, knowing that you have sinned against God, not against people. You, you do sin against people, but the main thing is that you have sinned against a holy God. Mm-hmm. And you must repent and believe that Jesus paid the price by dying on the cross, shedding his blood as a perfect sacrifice, rising from the dead. Um, you must believe that. Yep. Saving you from your sin and condemnation. Yep. I think that's a pretty good summation of the process. So, and again, I'll read a passage here in a second that actually tells specifically what we are to do, which is, again, God giving us signposts of what to do. 
But what in that calculus that you just said um, means that you are saved by your authority or your power? Nothing. Exactly. I guess technical, I have to, I have to repent and believe. Yeah, but that's a, a passive thing. And I don't mean passive in the sense that you're not doing anything, but it's not as though... It's like a kid, and I think we've talked about this before. I'm not sure if it was on the podcast. It's like a child who's hungry, right, and they need food to, to survive or water, whatever, um, but they're too small, right, and they can't reach it from the top cabinet, and so they have to ask their parent for help, right? So if they ask their parent for help and then they get it for them because they're a good parent... Um, then yes, that, that parent is the one under whose power that happened. Did the child do something? Absolutely. But they did not accomplish the action. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where, yes, it's yeah. required of you to ask for help. That's part of humbling yourself before God is saying, no, I need help. And I can't save myself. I am fallen. But the saving is done by God. And he says that he is faithful to do that. And so I think that that fear of not being saved or not doing enough to be saved, hidden in there, is, is a disbelief of God, right? So Abraham's whole thing, or at least what's said of Abraham often, is that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so a lot of the requirement there is, yes, repenting of your sin, believing in God, and then you have to trust God to be true to his word, that he is going to save you, that he is going to redeem you. And that sanctification that comes later, that is an outgrowth of the relationship that starts there. But a relationship doesn't just pop out fully mature immediately. Like relationships develop, you grow, right? God is obviously perfect and he is all he ever was or ever will be but you're not human beings we start off you know as babies and then we grow and even jesus he shared in our humanity in that is that jesus grew in knowledge and in um oh what was it knowledge and um regard among men something like that respect yeah um and so that's actually something where jesus experienced something that was completely novel to any other of the two members of the Trinity. Um, sorry if it sounds like my voice is shaking. I'm just a little cold, which is weird. Me too. It doesn't typically happen. Yeah, um, I don't know why. I know. Anyway, but in summation, what I'm saying is I think you're right. I think that fear, though, needs to be brought under the obedience of the Holy Spirit, and you have to learn how to trust God, that he's actually going to do what he said he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Or is doing it. Because like in Peter it says that you are receiving the end goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. I think it's a continual thing. It is a relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing is that it is a relationship and not a transactional one and done type of thing. It is about a relationship. That's what he turned the Old Testament away from. Or the Pharisees, how they used it. Yeah, so I think in that instance it kind of is a one and done, but not in the way that people think of it. Like a, you know, get out of, get out of hell free card. Um, but it's one and done more in the sense of getting married, right? You are married. Like, 
you both say I do, you have sex, it's consummated, boom, you are married. Um, however, it's not as though you're frozen there. You will continue growing and learning with that person the rest of your life. Um, and so God demonstrates the fact that he knows that we're going to be wayward. Again, we were talking about this earlier, but in Hosea, he demonstrated that pretty graphically with Hosea marrying a prostitute and then repeating, repeatedly having to bring her back from that. And God does that with us. Like, he's not going to say, mm, you know, you messed up. I really don't think I want you anymore. That doesn't make any sense. If us being messed up meant God doesn't want us, then why would he even have gone through the trouble of redemption in the first place? Yeah. All good points. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. Just pondering. Pondering. It's a good thing to do. Pondering on these things is something I, I think people don't do enough of. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, wow, Jesus died for me. <laughs> Yay. And they don't actually think about the really gruesome realities of all of it in themselves and also... On God's part, just the the brutality of it all, yeah, that He went through for us, and I don't think we give that uh, full credit. <sighs> Sorry, I was yawning. Wow, boring you. Yeah, just, just making me super tired. I knew it. Beyond, um, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> but I guess let's move on to the uh, next area in that, which would be. Um, post-salvation. What do you have to do post-salvation is what you were going to. Because um, I think you make really good points and they make sense. Um, and that's kind of what I've been struggling with is just trusting God um, that He's going to do what He says He's going to do. And just wrestling with that where sometimes um, I wrestle with my mind whether or not it's God um, and thinking I should do something or I should not do something, whether that's evangelizing, which always... I mean... More often than not, that is something you should do. But it's just making sure that I'm not doing it for the wrong reason of checking off a box. Yeah, or trying to prove your salvation. Yeah, and so it's making sure my intentions are clear, and if they're not, even if it's a good thing, I try not to do that because it only will reinforce my box-checking mindset. Yeah. And also, that actually reminded me of a passage that you've probably thought of, whereas, I want to say it's James... Maybe, I don't know, don't quote me on that, where he says, make every effort to work out your salvation through yada, 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 yada. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And notice, though, he doesn't say to prove or to earn or to somehow substantiate your salvation. He says to work out your salvation, which I think the same could be said with, again, a, a couple who's struggling in their marriage. No one would say... Well, you know, you should really go back to the courthouse. Because you're having trouble, you should go back to the courthouse and make sure that you're actually married. Because if you were actually married, then you wouldn't be having problems. No, they'd be like, okay, well, obviously there are issues in the relationship, so you need to work out your relationship. In the same Mm -hmm. way, we work out our salvation. Which I think I've often heard from uh, good good people. Um, Mm -hmm. What? Oh, nothing. You keep talking off to the side, so I'm not sure if you're really getting into the mic. Oh. Um... (laughs) good people that it is a good thing to not necessarily a really good thing to question your salvation um but it is uh something to 
not necessarily like officially DAO'd or it is a good thing to think about and make sure that you are saved. It's not a terrible thing and it is a good thing to struggle with and wrestle with. And I think that also helps grow your relationship with God because if you don't have that doubt, you can't work that out and grow closer because in every relationship you have these points where maybe doubt, maybe fear, maybe hurt, maybe something going wrong. But once you work those out, you not only become closer to that person, but you just you love that person more um, in a deeper way than you could have before. Yeah, and I think that is kind of evidenced by what Jesus said about, again, the, the wayward woman who poured perfume on his feet, right? He looked at the people who were, like, giving her crap about it, and he said, the one who's forgiven much loves much. The one who's forgiven loves little. I think that's one of the reasons that so many churchy people have such shallow faith. Um, obviously, it's not all churchy people. There's obviously some who wrestle with their salvation in their own ugliness and realize oh no i actually am terrible um and it's just god's grace that have that has kept me from again life alteringly bad decisions um but a lot of them they think that they are basically good which is a, a lie our society has fed us and so we think that's true it's not true um so it is good to wrestle with that and come face to face with it and i think it gives you a, a deeper love um, for, for Christ and for what he's done for you. Um, but what you said a moment ago reminded me of this passage just in Peter um, talking about um, just like the living hope that we have in God. Um, so this is 1 Peter 1, 3. It's like, praise be, bless you, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. Again, I think it's important, like, I'm going to read this whole section, but I think it's important to go back and see that it's already proven genuineness, right? Mm -hmm. And these trials are happening not not to prove it genuine, but to refine it, right? These trials are for refining your character, faith. A faith that's already there. Not it, to prove it. Exactly. It's for for training and maturing, Right. It's like if you never let a baby walk or crawl, fall, trip, whatever, they're just going to grow up to be a blob on the floor, right? They're not going to be able to do anything. They're not going to be able to train anybody else, raise anybody else. Like there is a necessary amount of struggle in order to learn and to grow. Um, so anyway, I'm going to finish the rest of this so we can talk about it. And it says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
And so I feel like this is a really good section to highlight the kind of dual hope that we have in, in Christ and our salvation, that we have this future state where he's going to wipe every tear out of our eyes and there's going to be no more death, no more pain. He's going to once and for all defeat sin. But there's also the present hope and the, the present good in, in our redeemed lives, right? So that, that section, I feel like, really captures that, that duality there, that it's not one or the other. We're not supposed to just live for this life and goodness here and just kind of ignore eternity. But in the same way, it's not like you get saved and like, oh, well, don't have to do anything now because I could just check out now and be fine. Right. So it's, it's both. And I think that's made complete through a loving relationship with God. I don't remember who said this, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but I've heard it where it might even be in Scripture. Um, it might even be there. Uh, Here, say it to me. I might be able to find it. Let's see. It's where you should focus, have your perspective on the heavenly things, oh, but live in the here or and now. Colossians 3. But yeah. live here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's... That's just what it reminded me of. The only, also, for those listening, I don't know the Bible that, that well. Just Colossians 3 is like my one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's your favorite book, right? Or New Testament uh, book? It might be. I don't know. Romans is pretty good, but that's so mainstream. You know, everyone loves Romans. <laughs> but no, I, I really do love Colossians. It's really good. I think it does a really good job of, obviously the whole Bible is for this, but... Um, has a really good perspective on balancing like responsibility and then mercy in the body, right? Yes, these are things that you should be doing. Um, kind of living it out. Yeah, really good practical um, direction on that. Um, but the passage, yep, actually is. There we go. In Colossians 3, says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Again, so this is something that has already happened. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Again, so knowledge and transformation have like a shared work there, which I think is really cool. Anyway, keep moving. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Um, Read the rest of it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And then it goes into instructions for a Christian household. But all of that, I think, says what you were talking about, how there is a, like a mental knowledge that that's our end goal, but we're still doing things here in this life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that may have been way more than you were talking about. but <laughs> It was a lot. I'm sorry. It's a long passage, but it's just yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Short and sweet. The book it is. Colossians. It is. I feel like it's really to the point. Mm-hmm. Are we going to cut out the silence or just no, let it sit? I thought I, I thought we would just let it kind of sit. Just let it sit. Yeah, just see how long we could do it. I mean, you've sat in silence with me for a really long time before. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just made me kind of think of the, the sermon earlier today about strongholds and wondering if that's kind of a stronghold that I have. Hmm. What specifically? Uh, I don't know if box checking is the right way to put it, but um, not necessarily working for my salvation because I'm not trying to, but I think it is trying to prove my salvation, if that makes sense. No, that makes not, sense. Not working for it but proving it and mm. I guess in turn making me try to make myself worthy. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but maybe that is was at the heart of it. I feel like that's a really big temptation, especially, um, well, for certain personality traits for sure, especially if you tend to be really like organized kind of type A where you want to get things done, you want to do everything right, you want to do things correctly. Yeah, I see you smiling. Um, but what me? yes, you, Mister. I want to do things right. Um, but you're not going to always do things right. Right. Um, wrong. And, <laughs> wait, right, wrong. <laughs> um, and again, it is like a child. Like when you're young in in your faith, and I'm not saying you're young. We all do this. But as you learn to do new things, as you mature, and as you grow, error is kind of part of the process, and it's not so much never making a mistake but rather being able to come to god humbly and learn from him right so much of the time in scripture whenever believers are being you know uh praised for things being congratulated is because um they're they're learning and they're being taught by the spirit right um i think you had a different point that i'm not forgetting what was your other thing uh working oh yeah yeah Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember. I I think it's a an easy temptation, right? So like like imagine a teenage boy who is like, I have a girlfriend in Canada. Oh. She goes to another school. She goes to another school. You wouldn't understand. You don't get it. And it's constantly trying to prove like, Oh, sorry, I gotta go. She's calling. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, whereas like that's not an issue now. Like you don't at least I don't think you feel the the need to prove to anyone that we're married. That just is true. And oh, you're no, you forget to wear your ring a lot, so I gotta like a make lot sure. one day, and you're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you forget all the time. It was one day, and also your back was sore, and so I was rubbing your back, and I took off the ring so it wouldn't scratch you. So that was for you, okay? And then I just forgot. Okay, 
I was trying to do a nice thing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. Anyway, but at least I don't think you feel the need to prove to everyone you meet that we're married. Your action should bear that out, though. You shouldn't be, you know, asking other women out and such. <laughs> yeah. Um, same is true with God. Like, you shouldn't have to be You're constantly... Asking out other gods? Yeah, that's actually very <laughs> applicable. <laughs> you shouldn't be asking out or going on dates with other gods or other spirits, if you will. You shouldn't be courting danger or sin or flirting with disaster. Once you give Satan a foothold, he takes a mile. I think the... Take, giving him an inch, he takes an inch a mile. Yeah, giving a foothold is in scripture, though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, something's, something's not right there. You're mixing some... Some metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's fine. It all comes across the same, right? I feel like a foothold could take you a mile, right? You gotta. I mean, it's a foot, like a well, like, foot. No, no, I was thinking like the footholds, like at the beginning of a of a racing meet, right? You know the things oh, that they step that they on. They spring off of. Yeah, those things. Those things are fun. What are those? Are those actually called footholds? What are those I called? have no idea. Oh well. But they look like a ton of fun. But that's just immediately what came to mind. Like you could get a mile with that foothold. <laughs> so don't give a devil the devil a foothold. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, but no, I don't think that's an odd thing um, to want to do. Um, I think it's a really tempting and really attractive impulse, especially um, if you've been a Christian a while and you kind of feel like you should know what you're doing. I feel like that's kind of pride sneaking in like you're getting things figured out you kind of know what you're doing now and so now pride like comes in the back door to kind of make you think oh well I should have it all together right and not to be in the you don't have to have everything together so just be no not that kind of way but kind of sneaks in and steals that that humility that comes when you first believe the humility of I am hopeless on my own and and pleading with the father for for help and for mercy and for love and and loving him in return for that i think pride sneaks in and kind of steals that that initial joy of salvation by making you try to work so hard to do it on your own which you should be doing it but trying to do it under your own power is going to exhaust you and trick you into believing that god has abandoned you when he hasn't, you just won't ask him for help anymore. Yeah. I wonder, something that I've done, as I said earlier, is not trying to do some of the things that I think I should because I'm not sure about my intentions. It mm. allows... It sounds like a really bad thing to do because it's like usually things that you think are really good that I, you, you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also just freeing because then... You don't. You might feel guilty about it at first, but as I've learned, I kind of let it go and realize I, I'm I'm responsible, but I'm not responsible, and it's not going to change the way God sees me. Oh, kind of like the again the passage whenever, um, like the disciples come to Jesus and they say, "Hey, someone who's not one of your disciples is is telling people about you," and he was like. Uh, well, they're not against us and they're for us. Mm-hmm. And then again, in, later in the New Testament, I want to say it's 
Paul, who's talking about, again, people who are who are preaching, but they're not the disciples. And he was like, oh, no, 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 not the disciples. They, they're, they're preaching because they think it's going to be beneficial to them, right? And he says, well, for good intentions or bad, the gospel is preached, right? And so... Yeah, you want your heart to be in the right place. But initially, you're just responsible for obedience. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a kid who's like told to clean their room. And at first, they're like, no, I don't want to clean my room. That's, <laughs> what, yeah. That's why I don't always turn or not do it. I do it most of the time. But sometimes when I for sure know my intentions are bad, um, I try not to. Especially if it's not an evangelistic type of thing. If it's like... I should pick up that piece of trash. I mean, it's a good thing to do. It is a good thing to do, but okay, I don't know. I don't know. I, know I don't think it was a good example. <laughs> I don't know what a good example is. I should go to the front. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe this is just a bad. No, I don't think it's a bad train of thought. I think it is true, um, but I think your other statement is also true, right? That. You shouldn't let yourself get caught in this weird motive loop. Because I think the devil can use that too. Where he gets you like second guess. Like, well, I mean, should I? Is this the right motive? And blah, 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 blah. And by the time you're done deliberating in your head, like the opportunities passed you by. Right. So I think there's a, definitely a, a balance to it. I just, if you, you're struggling to know if you're doing it for the right reason and you're afraid of... Uh, what God thinks of you change or for it to change. Um, maybe you should try not to do it. I don't know. Like, it's a bad thing to say. Real quick, can you say that to me again, but more concise? I was, for whatever reason, I my brain just blanked and I did not understand that. So, if you are struggling to not feel guilty if you don't do something, so you think str- you should do. So your struggle is you're trying. So if your struggle is trying to determine your motives for doing something good, is that what you're saying? Maybe. Maybe. Is it or, or isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? I don't know. Maybe this is a whole bad, bad, bad thing. Maybe you should always do what you think you should do. I think it's definitely a good starting point. Um, I I think that if your entire relationship with God is completely duty-driven, then you're missing out on a really rich and wonderful part of your relationship with God that should involve love and, and joy and peace and the, the sweet times in relation with God. The same way, like in a marriage, if you're just, again, you're married to this person, and I think wives fall into this, like, you have sex out of duty, and you live in the same house out of duty, and you do your respective chores in the house out of duty, and there's no love involved. Like, I don't think there are bad things that you're doing. I don't think it's you should bad. Do them. Yeah, like you should do those things. Like, you should yeah. serve each other, whatever. But if you're not investing time into the loving portion of that relationship, you're missing out on a lot of what that relationship should be. So. Kind of rethinking how I how I said everything is basically scratch everything. I said. <laughs> scratch that. Rethink. <laughs> um, maybe when you think you should do something and you're afraid you have the wrong intentions, you should do them anyway. 
pause for maybe a second or two to try and realign your intentions. And if it doesn't realign, still do it out of obedience. Yeah. And then as you're doing it, try to reframe your mind into the right intention. I think that is true, right? Because I think, like, again, with the marriage example, again, I know I keep coming back to that, but it's an, it's an example that we're given a lot in scripture. Like, if a man's sitting there deliberating, you know, I really don't think that I should cheat on my wife, but, you know, I can't tell if my motive is because I think it's bad or I love my wife, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Like, people are like, no, you moron, you knew that was bad. <laughs> um, or if he's sitting there going, you know, I'm not sure if I should pay the electric bill this week, because, or not week, this month, because I love my wife and I want her, you know, house to function, or if I'm doing it uh, because I feel like I should. Like, you should do well, that thing. Are, I'm not talking about those type of things. Well, no, that was just an example, right? Yeah. That there are some things that you should do out of duty, and then, again you should then invest in the loving side of that relationship. You should try to align your your motives and your feelings with what they should be. It's kind of like you should discipline to serve first and love will come later. But mm-hmm. be working on that as well. Not just yeah. like, I'll wait until it comes and yeah. serve, but you working towards that. Yeah, and I think that's actually a great point and something that people get hung up on is like, I'm going to wait until I feel like it to do it. That's a terrible... Because I feel like that'll just get farther and farther and farther apart. Yeah, well, it's kind of like exercise. I'm like, I'm going to wait until I feel like exercising to exercise. Like, that's never going to happen. You're just going to keep getting fatter and you're going to feel less and less like exercising. Yeah. Um, The only way that you're going to get to where exercise feels good and it's something that you want to do is if you do it. And it's good for your body. And I think that's probably the better example, oddly enough is you need to exercise your faith and it's going to start feeling more natural once you actually get out there and do it. And it's going to feel mm-hmm. better the more practice you have at it. For sure. I think the first couple times are the hardest times, which recently I had done. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was, kind of, it was not necessarily more natural. Um, I definitely felt less awkward about it. I was like, ah, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> if I'm a fool, I'm a fool for Christ anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's just less awkward and like, it's, it's going to be okay. You come out the other side, either in heaven or... Oh, goodness. Who's going to kill you for <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I mean, my it worst, happen. It's my, always my worst thought is, you know, you're evangelizing, like, you wouldn't. <laughs> and they just have a knife ready. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> I think that's someone who already had something against you and was just looking for a reason. My goodness. But, yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good way to put it. Exercise. Every time I think of exercise, though, I think of Paul telling Timothy, yes, physical things, physical um, exercise is good, but it's not what's important. Godliness is important. I always find it pretty hilarious. Yeah, spiritual training is of eternal value. (laughs) Yeah. I remember reading, like, look, Sean, this is what it says. So what he's saying is get off your fat spiritual butt and get out there. No, no, no. What I was saying was we don't need to go to the gym. (laughs) We need Bible study. We need both. Yeah, you do. You do. Well, how do you want to land this plane? I'm going to keep asking you that. Do you want me to tell you the plane analogy again? Oh, my god! This is how we're going to you land it every never, time. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I take it back. I will say something else next time. <laughs> so we're going to do the plane analogy to land it? Please, no. 
I don't think it's really applicable right now. <laughs> it isn't. I mean, it is about saving. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, that's what we do is every time we end it, you're like, how should we land this plane? It's the same analogy every time. It's going to be like the, the Cheerio joke. What Cheerio joke? Oh, you don't remember the Cheerio joke. <laughs> oh, Cheerio? No. Oh, I'll tell the cheery joke. Cheerio joke on a different day because it's long. And uh, Oh, is we, it like... Shh, no, 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 dear. We'll talk about this a different day. And and everyone will be able to enjoy it just as much as you did. And that's all oh, we're going to say. I know what kind of joke it is. That's all we're going to say. Shush. That's all we're going to say about it. No, I'm going to say more. Why? Because it's lame. You think it's lame, but you think all kinds of fun things are lame. This is not a fun one. If I ever think I know what This is the same guy who doesn't like hot chocolate, so take that into account. Whatever. Uh huh. Or sweet tea. Doesn't like sweet tea. Unsweet tea. So exactly, take his or peach his, tea. Peach take tea his is taste with a grain of salt. Peach literally. tea is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Peach tea's good. Yeah. Who disagrees with that? I don't know. Actually, never mind. I know a couple of people who do. Peach, I feel like, is not a super ubiquitously loved flavor, like you know, vanilla or chocolate. I know people don't like chocolate. Hey, what do I know? I know people who don't like chocolate. I know, and their lives are sad. I'm real. <laughs> anyway. Let's pray and get out of here. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for this good conversation about salvation and uh, having assurance of it. Help all of us to uh, just sit with it, read, read your word, pray, and... Be assured of your salvation. And if they're not assured, help them become assured. If they're not saved, help them become saved. Just give them this time and bless people who listen to it. Hope it's a help. Just give them.